And this morning we focus on the fourth verse of Psalm 23. A verse that if in looked at only for a portion, I will fear no evil. Oh, I walk the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That reads in isolation, like among the greatest motivational speeches you could ever hear. You can imagine a coach rallying his players. Adversity is around us, but we will not fear. I mean, you can, you can feel the power of those words, even stripped from the context of the Good Shepherd. So becomes even much of our lives as Christians. We who have turned from sin and placed our trust in Christ, we can be tempted on a season of darkness that we experience, a season of adversity or health news or whatever the challenges and heartache may be, to take that component of Psalm 23 in isolation and strip it from the shepherd. To think just one step at a time, and I can make it through this, and there's lots of great wisdom, leadership, and endurance principles and stories of people who just took it one challenge, one step at a time, and, and made it through the difficult season. And yet, what we see this morning is three insights in verse 4 of how we ought to approach dark valleys. How ought we to approach the shadow of death, dangerous, vulnerable circumstances? For David, in this way, it is not his strength that gives him courage. It is the character of his shepherd. It is the closeness of his shepherd. And it is the great competency, it's the great skills of his shepherd that brings him the ability to say, I will not fear. It's not David's greatness. It's not the army of Israel's greatness. It is the character, the closeness, and the competencies of his shepherd. So may the Lord ingrain these into our minds as dark valleys certainly approach for many of us. Let's look first as we see that when in the valley, look at the character of our shepherd. Look in the very first portion of verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now David is accurate and honest about his circumstances. We see this at the very beginning. He's honest about the treachery of the valley that he's in. This is important for us to recognize for two reasons. He's, number one, he's not an optimist, and number two, he's not a pessimist. He's not an optimist in the sense that he's not looking at the circumstances and simply naive and using a statement to feel better about the circumstances that he's in. He doesn't say, well, this valley is dark, but it could be much darker. We'll make it through this. He doesn't say that. He doesn't downplay the reality of the context that he's in. And nor on the other side is he a pessimist. If Optimistic statements can be used to cloak perhaps naive fears of consequences or impending death. The pessimist could be able to cloak atheistic thoughts, the idea that life is rather purposeless. So even if I make it through this, I don't think we're going to make it through this, the odds don't look good, but even if we do, who cares? Why does it matter anyway? The pessimist and the optimist. David is neither. David is honest about his circumstances. The valley is dark. Now, it's certain in this context and in the Judean countryside that he would have imagined literal valleys. He would have been in literal valleys. We actually have church members who have been to Israel and have seen these components that not only David could have been thinking of, but certainly a Hebrew reader could have thought of this at the time of its writing and reading. 
They could have literally pictured dark valleys. And so I've never been there, but I do have this thing called Google. I didn't strip any images because I couldn't find any legal ones to post for you to see. But you can Google it yourself, not right now, on your own time. But if you Google in dark valleys in Israel, you will find, this is rather comical, you'll find about a dozen different tour guides that will take you to what David may have been thinking of with dark valleys in Israel that he would have shepherded his sheep through. Now, we don't know if that's exactly, probably a component of what David is thinking of. Uh, perhaps he's thinking of a life experience. We know from the Scriptures many of the heartaches that David experienced in dark times. Not only the time of his literally being a shepherd and shepherding his father's sheep, but David experienced the, the fearing of his life with King Saul, literally pursuing him with his army to kill him and hiding in different valleys. We know from the Scriptures, we know the dark valley of him realizing God bringing to attention through the words of a faithful brother his own sin and the gravity of his sin against Uriah and Bathsheba and ultimately against the Lord. We don't know exactly what's in David's mind, but we do know with clarity that David is honest about his circumstances. And yet he's able to say, I will not fear. This is not some self-mustered motivation. I will not fear. I will get through this. It's not somebody that is fearful, but then they're just going to get through and say, I'm not afraid. And they're going to persuade themselves that they're not afraid. When you think about a child at night in the dark that wakes up fearful, that child's not being irrational. They're being extremely rational. For the only reason that one can actually say in the reality of darkness and, and near death that they do not fear is there's one of two options. Either they themselves are more powerful and mighty than evil that surrounds them, or they know someone who is, and they're under their care. So when the child wakes up and, and is fearful because of the darkness that's around them, the child's being totally rational because they're so small and weak. They can't defend themselves from an intruder. And if the child's completely rational, you think about it. I mean, yes, the door is locked. But that door could be kicked in in a second. Sarah and I, we locked ourselves. Okay, I locked us out of the house. A full confession here. It's not her. This was my fault. I did this in the first service too. This is not her. This is all me. I locked us out of the house. We went for a walk. Came back. We were locked out. We called, uh, I called it a blacksmith. It's a locksmith, turns out. We didn't call any blacksmiths to make any horseshoes or anything for us. But we called a locksmith to come and to let us in. And he said, listen, here's what it's going to cost. I have a service fee. And I can either do this kind of the legitimate way uh, that's going to cost you this much more. Or I think I can get in without having to do that. But there's a good chance I could break your door. What do you want to do? And I was like, let's roll the dice. I'm feeling good today. <laughs> so... He went for it, and he did it. He got into our house in one second and didn't break a thing. And I was totally impressed and totally worried, on the other hand, to know that it was that easy to do. We got better locks now, so don't get any ideas. But the reality of that child's perception is so small. They don't know the reality of dangers and dangerous people. If a dangerous person really wants to harm you, what, what could stop them? The element of surprise and all the dangers that could come in? That child that's fearful in the darkness is rational. And yet that child, so often, and so many of you families can relate, the child feels greatest comfort where? In their room in the dark, or what do they want to do? 
can I come sleep in your bed? There's comfort around the parents. Why? Now, the child's not totally irrational because even though you're stronger than they are, you're not that strong. But the fact that they know they are in your care gives them comfort in the presence of possible dangers that they cannot see. David is able to say, I will fear no evil because he knows that he is in the hands of the one who for his namesake leads him in passive righteousness. He's honest about the dark, dangerous, deathly circumstances that surround him. But his peace and confidence come because he's in the hand of the Lord who loves him and is good and who is indeed more powerful and great than any threat that befalls them. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4 says in a very similar way to the body of Christ, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Speaking of the Antichrist and the false teachings of the world. For he who is in you is what is greater than he who is in the world. The character of the shepherd gives the sheep peace. What a terrible thing for somebody that does not actually know Christ. For somebody that does not know God. And they look at life circumstances and they see the chaos and the heartache and they wonder, is God good? And they're struck with problems of evil and pain that they see in the world because they do not know the character of the shepherd that we know assuredly and only in Christ. But the church takes comfort We don't minimize the threats of evil, but we take comfort just as David did when he could say, I will fear no evil, just as the Apostle John did comforting the church. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So when we think of this verse and we think about dark valleys that will come into our lives and lives of one another, we must remember the character of our shepherd. We continue on in the verse, and we see also, in addition to the character, it's not just his character that he's good and faithful in all his attributes, the fullness therein, but he's also close. He's close enough to do something about it. When in the valley, look at the closeness of our shepherd. This is the turning point of Psalm 23. In the sense that the attention, he's, he's, this has all been a prayer, so it's all been to the Lord. He's been speaking about the Lord, and now he speaks to the Lord. He says, you are with me. Difficulties in the dark valleys create battle-tested faith. Every one of us in this room has experienced those. Those that have aged more years and more decades. You have experienced many more dark valleys than many of us. Soldiers will speak often of the boot camp experience and how that binds them together of having gone through a common trial and burden. Men and women who are deployed in tours of duty speak of how that builds them up in greater trials and gives them a bond of brotherhood and sisterhood that's deeper than anything they've ever experienced. Firemen and police officers speak of the same. Going through trauma and hardship together builds a bond that is unbreakable and deep. David is able to say in the face of the dark valleys that surrounds him that you are with me. It's the closeness of the shepherd. It's what we saw Peter tell the church. Necessary trials. There's necessary dark seasons. The Lord who is righteous, who leads us in passive righteousness. Sometimes those righteous paths lead us in circumstances that will prune back comforts in our life. They will bring us into hardship. Not into sin and not into temptation, but into hardship. 
that we would cling even closer to the Lord. I don't know how many years as a pastor and how many experiences I've been able to be encouraged by a call or a contact by somebody who's in a heartbreaking situation, the loss of a loved one or, or terrible news that they've heard. And yet they say, I feel the prayers of His people. I sense the presence of the Lord right now more than I ever have before. An awareness of the closeness of the Lord. And so the Lord who is with us in dark seasons, in dark valleys, He never leaves us and He never forsakes us. His closeness is intimate. I want to look over to Colossians chapter 3. I reference at least once a month probably Colossians 3.3, but I don't think I've ever had us read some of the verses around it. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Let's flip over there together. Let's read verses 1 through 4 together. And as we flip there, I want you to consider the closeness of the Lord your God today. One of the gifts that the Lord gives us, or two of the gifts that the Lord gives us, is the ordinances that He gives those that are in the new covenant made by Christ's blood. That's us as believers today. He gives us, when you think about last week in the baptisms, He gives us the gift and the command for all who are believed to be baptized. And in baptism, we see a picture and we saw a picture of one hidden in Christ, as Paul says in Romans, one buried with Christ in the likeness of His death and one raised to newness of life. One entering into the waters representative of their life before knowing Christ. And one who has confessed their faith and trust that Jesus, who had become sin for them, He had tasted death for them, He had been buried for them. And they themselves being united with Christ in His work. Just as Jesus Christ raised from the dead, they too have a promise and assurance that their bodies, though one day will die, they will be raised to bodily newness of life as well. Just as they've been raised spiritually to newness of life in Christ. How much closer can you get than that with the Lord? The second ordinance, before we, leave, before we read Colossians 3, the last Sunday of every month, what do we do? We always partake of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper together. And in the Lord's Supper, how much closer can you give, get in this gift that Jesus Christ reinstituted from the Passover meal of eating this bread that represents His body and drinking of this cup that represents His blood? What a beautiful ordinance the Lord has given that spurs us and builds us in our faith and reminds us, reminds you and me as sinners who've been made saints by the blood of Christ of our union with Him. And so with that in mind, think of Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1 through 4, Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, and this is an if then in the sense that we say, you know, sometimes I'll say in a sermon, I'll say, if you're here with us this morning, which I don't know why I say that, because you're clearly here in order to hear me. But I say it in a way, nobody in the room is like, hey, am I here this morning? Look, this is wild. No, it's an if-then, meaning you are, okay? It's giving an awareness of where you are and your standing. That's what he's doing here. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. 
We will fear no evil, for you are with us. How much closer can a believer get than the Holy Spirit who indwells us? The one who will never leave us nor forsake us, we see in Hebrews. This is the goodness of the promise that you have. If you know the Good Shepherd, not only do you know the character of God, but you're reminded by the body of Christ and the ordinances that He gives us that He is so close that He is in us. We are bound with Him and nobody can drive us. Nobody can get between us and the love of God. Nobody. Romans 8 certainly picks that up. I want you also, since you're Really, your fingers are warm on turning the text. Let's look to Deuteronomy 31. we got to read this because I referenced it in our parent-child dedication. So look over to Deuteronomy because you're going to see the same theme that we see in Joshua 1.6. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, we're going to read verse 6 through 8 together. But remember, it's the closeness of our shepherd that gives David great confidence. It's his character and it's his closeness. And we'll fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, the closeness of the shepherd. I'm so excited. In just two weeks, we're going to begin our series through the book of Exodus. And in this, we, we gain just incredible instructions of the faithful God who is with his forgetful people. And in Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, we see the transition of Moses, who's approaching 120 and soon to die, in Joshua. So Moses gives these commands, this charge to Joshua, first to Israel, and then to Joshua before they should go into the land. Listen to what he says and see how similar this sounds to not only Colossians, but also Psalm 23. Verse 6 of Deuteronomy 31, be strong and courageous and do not fear or be in dread of them, of the people before them. For if it is the Lord your God who goes with you, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you, He will not leave you or forsake you. Again, Hebrews picks up on that. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with His people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. What's it say? Why can you... Why you need not fear evil. Why you should be courageous for what's before you. He will be with you. And He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Moses' peace and courage in fearful circumstances is the nearness of the shepherd of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yahweh, the Lord our God. David in Psalm 23, his courage in the face of fear in dark valleys is the closeness of His shepherd. Israel's confidence and peace in the face of dark valleys is indeed the presence of the shepherd. The believer in Christ, our confidence and courage and comfort in the face of dark valleys is likewise the closeness of our high character good shepherd. Do you know Him? If you don't know the shepherd and you've only known of the shepherd, this day will you give your life to Christ? This day will you admit to God your sin? Will you admit to God His glory and His good and His worthy of praise, His worthy of worship that you have not given Him up to unto this day? Would you ask forgiveness for your sin? 
and believe upon Jesus Christ who bore your sins upon His body on the tree. Giving your life to Him. Asking Him to lead you. To never leave you nor forsake you. And to lead you until you should see Him face to face. Confessing Him as your Savior and Lord, the resurrected Christ. If this is the day that you will give your life to Christ, it is our calling as a church family to disciple you into a disciple maker. And so don't leave this place before coming after the service. We'll have ministry leaders up here to pray with you and to help you in your next steps, or at least mark it on the connect card for the calling that God gives us and the goodness of the Lord gives us is one in which we will walk through dark valleys, making disciples for His glory until He should call us to be with Him face to face. For when Christ appears, there too will you be. The character of our shepherd, the closeness of our shepherd, and finally the competencies of our shepherd. In the valley, remember the character of our shepherd, the closeness of our shepherd, and the competencies of our shepherd, the skills of our shepherd. He references them at the end of verse 4. The tools of the shepherd. Your rod and your staff, they do what? Let's say it together. They comfort me. A person with a weapon that you do not know, them having a weapon is not exactly comforting, is it? Of course not. But if you know the character and you know the proximity of closeness to do something about it, and you know that their skill level is perfection, their competency with their skills, with their rod for protection and their staff for comfort and ministry, gives us comfort. Not a great thing to be under the care of an unskilled shepherd, is it? I'm so thankful nobody in here said, Amen. I'm like, that's what I see with you. Our shepherd, the Lord God, is perfectly competent. No under shepherds can be Christ. But we preach Christ crucified, our hope of glory. And as a church family, we minister the Word of Christ to one another. For when dark valleys come, our perception gets distorted. But the Lord who is, builds His church, and He's founded upon this confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, sent from the Father. As we see in Matthew 16, He gives a command to the congregations, the people of God, gathering in local bodies to both use the rod and use the staff to protect and to discipline and care for His sheep. That's good news. When we think of the rod of the shepherd, it was used to protect the sheep. It did not abuse the sheep. I heard a story when I was a young boy that I always just presumed to be true because you don't usually check it. I don't remember who the preacher was that I heard preaching. And, uh, and so I want to share it with you in case you have heard this story too. You'll know that it's not true. I had heard, preached at some point, that a shepherd that would lose his sheep or a sheep would get lost, when he would find it, he would break the legs of the sheep and he would carry it back to safety. 
And I had heard that he would do this for two reasons. Number one, it would teach the sheep not to do it anymore, the correct, correcting pattern, but also the closeness with the shepherd would, would, would build a greater bond. I would heard that. That's a cute sermon illustration. The problem is it's not true. Also, it's not that cute because he's breaking the legs of a sheep, which would not be, none of us would see that and be like, that's adorable. That's great. That's not cool. So it's not true. So if you've heard that, get rid of it. And I am afraid to ask you to raise your hand if you've heard that, because now I'm thinking I might have wasted two minutes of your life, and you're like, well, who says that kind of crazy thing? So I'm presuming it wasn't just me, because I've heard other people have heard this illustration. And if it is, then you'll know if you hear it again, you'll be like, that's not accurate. But the rod was used, the, 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 the sheep would not gather close to the shepherd in fear that he would use the rod on them. The rod was that of protection for the predators that would come. And they knew their shepherd was good and would certainly lay down his life protecting them. The rod is a good thing. Discipline is a good thing. In the church, discipline is a good thing. So our members of Grace Bible Church, they make commitments to submit themselves to discipline, but also to play a role of disciplining one another. And church discipline sounds maybe scary on a grander scale. If there's this grievous sin that one will not repent from, and, and it could even go before the elders who, in love, come and try to minister to that, and, and more than just a simple conversation, a longer scale perspective. But most of the discipline that we experience as believers, as corrective components, comes about by a group that we're in. Of somebody who's close enough in our lives to see us and to see faults or sinful habits in our lives that correct us. Or if we behave inappropriately in a conversation, they love us enough to come alongside of us and say, listen, let's, what's going on? That, that, that wasn't right. That's discipline. That's the Holy Spirit, He who indwells us, that He's correcting us with the local bride of Christ. And we're protecting us if there's false teaching that begins to seep in, or we begin to hear, or we begin to give an ear to. There's a discipline component that you charge to the elders and the, and the pastors to be able to oversee and correct those things and walk into those things. And those aren't fun conversations, but they're necessary conversations that one knows could experience and bring forth heartache but they're necessary conversations. The shepherd doesn't long to use the rod, but he must be skilled and willing to use it. And so likewise, we, we guard each other in, our, in the teaching that we hear. We discern all things through the Word of God. We test it. But there's also the staff component of cleaning and caring and, and rescuing and pulling out. We know that there's seasons of our life that we walk in paths. We know that He leads us in paths of righteousness, but myself included, we know there's seasons that we walk in our own paths of unrighteousness. And we walk in those paths, and as sheep, what do we find ourselves? We chase what we think might be green pastures, but in reality, they're bitter. And they leave us discontent and miserable. A pig will be totally content in mud, but a sheep will not. You think of the pure practicality, a sheep weighing 70-ish pounds. You think of the thickness of their wool, and to get mud stuck on them, how weighted and burdened would they be? When you and I, when we walk into sinful, unrighteous paths, we find ourselves getting heavy and tired. And do you know what would happen in a congregational setting? as a sheep, we would start to fall behind. We would begin to be segmented from the flock. And so part of how the Holy Spirit, He ministers to us and He cares for us and exercises the role of the staff to gather one close 
to clean one off and to pursue one is indeed what the bride of Christ is as you recognize the Spirit. Put somebody on your mind or you recognize it. Hey, I wonder how they're doing. I haven't seen them. And you pursue them. I can't tell you how often that happens. And then somebody you find out is in either, not necessarily even a season of sin, but just a season of a dark place. And yet one has pursued them and brought them back in that staff type role that that, that staff would use to pull one out of mud. We give the Lord glory for the skill that He has, the competency that He brings. What peace is ours in the presence of our shepherd. So when in the valley, we remember verse 4. As you have people in your life right now that are in the valley, or you perceive perhaps are in the valley, but they're putting on a brave face. Would you remember to minister to them the Word of God? Would you remember the character of God? The courage to pursue them and to love them. To put your arm around them. And to point them to your shepherd. Would you get close to them, remembering the closeness of our shepherd? He doesn't always feel close, does He? But we're reminded to trust the Lord in His Word. Not our feelings in the moment of grief or trouble. And we remind the comp- we're reminded of the competency of the shepherd to make our decisions rooted in His Word, no matter what the world or others may do. For His Word is good and true. As we consider our next steps this morning, we know that there's a reality that Christians at some times, we can make decisions like functional atheists. We can make decisions and work through troubles and dark seasons like we are sheep without a shepherd. And if you process right now, I just want to ask you to consider if you've been through a dark valley a season of heartache that you've just mustered your way through it and you made it, here you are, but you've never consulted the shepherd through that season. Would you consult him in this? Ask forgiveness for your sin for trying to gut through it without being dependent upon him and thank him for the peace and comfort and forgiveness that he gives you. Confess it to the Lord and draw near to him as he's helped usher you through. Share that with the Lord during our song of response. If He will hold us fast, we'll sing in just a few moments. Secondly, when we look according to God's Word and we listen to God's Word-soaked people, not simply shifting circumstances or fluctuating components, but we look at how close God says He is, my question to you is very simple. How might God be calling you to minister His Word to one another in our church family in 2021? Because the answer is, He is, right? We minister God's Word together by praying together, by being devoted to the Word. And so I want to encourage you, even though our groups, and I so appreciate those who've served on Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, investing in our children, our small group leaders, we are grateful for you. Huddle leaders, we're grateful for you. But how might the Lord be calling you to minister the Word to one another? That involves be involved with a group. If you're a college student, whether it's a cross-point group, a men's group, whatever it is, a women's group, get involved. Minister the Word to each other. I can't minister the Word to you if I don't know you. And so be known. Commit yourself to a group. And secondly in that, serve the Word of the Lord to others through service. Even if it's Connect Team or one of these components you may think is small, you by default are going to build relationships and serve of your time and abilities for the good of others. 
So pray and look for opportunities to serve this summer, but also as we come into the fall. Be praying about that. Ask the Lord to make your heart sensitive that you might play a role, that He might use you to play the role of the rod and the staff as the Spirit would lead. And finally, I want to ask you, would you be renewed in your commitment to corporate worship and to continue to sing even in the darkest of shadows for His namesake? Commit yourself to gather. So if you're a college student and you're going back home, you gather with your local church there in the town that you live in. You prioritize that gathering. If we're going on vacation, find a local church and gather and worship and sing the Lord's praises. Prioritize the corporate body as we do through our weeks. Renew your commitment in this way. This is Mother's Day. And we are so grateful for you moms. And Mother's Day is a day that has a host of emotions with it, isn't it? To those in our congregation who have experienced an abortion, Today is a day that often comes with a great amount of shame and emotions that hit like waves on a beach. And yet you gather and you sing praises to the Lord. And you hear God's people when you struggle to get out words. You hear them praise the Lord and you're reminded, not of your feelings, but of the truth of who God is, that He will indeed hold you fast. And in our congregation are, are women who have had miscarriages. And women who have struggled with seasons of infertility and, and perhaps never-ending infertility. Others have lost their moms this year. And others lost their moms many, many years ago. And yet this is a day of reflection. And there's joy of the memories that you had. But there's also heartache and longing and missing. And what we see on a holiday like this in our community is that the people of God, we still gather. Some are in great sunny times and others are in dark valleys. And yet we, we sing praises to the Lord as an offering of praise to the God who is worthy, who will never leave us nor forsake us. And even the times that all you can do is move your lips and barely get the words out, you hear the words of a brother or sister around you that is singing with joy. And it's almost like you're borrowing their faith and their words in that moment, ushering through the dark valleys. That's the goodness of our God and the gift that He gives us of a church family. Amen? And so do you believe that He will hold us fast? Would you stand with me as we sing this song of praise to our deserving Savior? Mm -hmm.